This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're chatting with Mark Mortimer, a self-confessed sheep geek who uses technology in some interesting ways within his stud sheep operation and business, Centre Plus Barinos. Mark farms alongside his father, brother and their family near Albert in central west New South Wales. And although he enjoys the complexity that breeding merinos entails, he is also focused on trying to make the job easier with the help of technology. In this episode, we hear that Mark is a problem solver at heart and he shares with us some of the hard lessons he's learnt with technology and livestock and gives some tips to innovators out there in what farmers really need from their technology. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Rowan Leach, managed to squeeze this interview with Mark just before he headed into a busy harvest period. So today I'm here with Mark Mortimer from Centre Plus Marinos. Mark, welcome to the Seeds for Success podcast. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be here, Rowan. Mark, can you tell me a bit about your operation here at Albert and at Devondale? We're a typical family partnership operation. So it's my dad, myself and my brother and our wives and obviously a bunch of kids kicking around underneath that. And we're a typical mixed farm, so probably an even split between sheep and cropping. But obviously here at Devondale, we specialise in breeding rams and the genetics that we sell to the Centre Plus group and to wider industry. You mentioned that you've got a Centre Plus group. What does that involve? So it's a group of farmers that got together back in about 1980. So dad and a bunch of his mates from rural youth weren't happy with the ram sources they had and they figured we can do this just as well. To get some economies of scale, they started a group. They all contributed in the top ewes they had on each person's farm and that was to Devondale and, and Dad's job was to then breed to rams that went back out to those groups. So it was a cooperative ram breeding system, if you like. So using the power of group dynamics to make good decisions. And I think you can certainly, over history, see how they've weathered the storms of industry single trait selection better than, say, an individual getting pressure from clients. So I know 1990 when the reserve price scheme crashed and the, there was a big drive to get fine or get out. Obviously, we want fine wool, but actually we really like our big Western sheep because they were selling to themselves. It was much easier for them not to get caught up in hype. I reckon it enabled them to make a more even breeding goal and decision for being part of a group. But then, you know, you also have the weaknesses of groups, so personality types and clashes. And sometimes change can be slow because not everyone on the group's on the same page. And other times change can be very fast because you've got a small cohort of people supporting you. So you're not so worried about what industry thinks. That shaped our sheep breeding enterprise and our genetic goals, if you like, and options. And we still operate that group today. You know, our genetic breeding objectives are set by the group. That's where we're at with that. You mentioned earlier in our chat this morning over a cuppa that you've just bought the neighbour's place as well. So how many acres have you got here? So this side of the family partnership where I'm managing 7,000 acres and my brother's managing between property that we own and lease box another 7,000. So the family partnership's on 14,000 acres here. Who else is involved in the family business? 
Yes, and that's me and my brother, uh, the main workers on each block, and obviously mum and dad are still involved mainly in the sheep enterprise here, but they're still part of the family partnership, and obviously our wives are involved, and like I said before, a bunch of kids kicking around. Very typical historical family farm or family business in that sense. What's the best part about farming here at, in between Albert and Tullamore? I am tempted to say it's not very far from the Albert. That's probably not what we're getting at. I guess like all things, the environment shapes your outcomes. Dad was the, our trading name is El Mortimer and Sons. And Dad likes to tell everyone he's the S on the end of Sons. So he was the second son. And when the opportunity came to buy a farm the other side of town and move away from his dad and his brother, he took it. And that's this home block where we are now, but it does run along quartz ridges and ironbark, so it's not really cropping country. If you were going to make your fortune, it wasn't out of cropping, which steered Dad towards being more heavily involved in the sheep. But it's certainly not fattening country, so he's not really been able to fatten lambs. So moving into genetics, where the condition and feed of your sheep isn't important, you can breed good genetics on any country. And in fact, maybe tough country is an advantage because you get to test your sheep under really tough environments. So the farm sort of lent itself to steering this direction. You know, it took some of the options off the table. So that's probably why when a family partnership where sheep had only been something that you did in between cropping, then buying this farm, you know, it had to become a major part of the business because that's what this place was suited to. So, you know, it's a definite example of the environment of the farm shaping the business enterprise that you can run there. You also mentioned that this is not your first podcast. You said that you've probably got a bit more experience with me behind the mic, actually. So who else have you been interviewed by and what organisations? So I got did a podcast with Sarah Nolan, Ag Tech So What, and that was a very new experience for me. Somebody I didn't know rang up and said, Mark, I just want to talk about Ag Tech, and that's what we did. And I guess from that relationship, I went off and I spoke at Evoke Ag in a panel session. Saying yes to these things when they come along, even though you don't know what they are, leads to other connections and other networking. Been on the yarn with AWI. I think I've been on one of the ag universities have got a podcast and I was also on repro radio with Sydney uni. So that's through our work with AI and stuff to do with sheep. So anything to do with reproduction technology that podcast focuses on, that's where I spend most of my time thinking and doing. I don't feel as though I'm forging ahead in front of other people. I guess if you keep adopting new things, people look at what you're doing and think that's what you are. Whereas Obviously, when they come here, they don't see the scrap behind the shed that didn't work. If you're going to be an early adopter in tech, there's lots of failures and lots of successes and not everything works as well as what you think it's going to. I like tinkering, so I like making my own tech. I guess that's where you can blur the lines between hobby and work. And so my hobby is tech, my work is sheep. So obviously, you can justify spending more time on your hobby if you're doing something with your hobby around work. That's why I've ended up in that sheep tech space. You're probably a real self-confessed nerd, a bit of a ag tech geek. Is it your passion? Yes, I, I mean, absolutely. So, you know, I like making things and solving problems and I like to use tech to do it. I like playing with electronics. So I'm happy to write the code for the electronics. But when you get a problem you can't solve, I can fall down the rabbit hole. You just become obsessed about solving that problem and you can focus right in on the details of solving your problem and you can work out what the problem, why you couldn't do what you wanted to do to start with and you can solve it and then you've got this usable thing and you come out the other side and then you realise it actually wasn't that helpful. And we see this in the ag tech and startup space a lot. Somebody will spend a lot of time developing a product, they'll take it to the farmers and the farmers go, oh, that's awesome, I don't need it. So even as the farmer, 
and the guy making the tech. I've made stuff that turns out not to be very useful. An example of that is we spend a lot of time on the race side gathering data on sheep, lots of scores, lots of visual scores. Wouldn't it be cool if I could automate that and make it all voice activated? So you just put on headphones and a good microphone and you just talk all the scores in while you're going and you can control your software through voice and that gives you two hands free to work in your sheep. Sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But it turns out that talking for eight to ten hours a day in the sheepyards, in the heat, in the flies, is really, really hard work. It's not any fun. It puts a different level of concentration in. Turns out it's much easier to just do your input through a keyboard and quicker once you've got really good software for it. So, you know, there's an example, and I spent, we won't go into how many hours, developing software that was fully voice activated, but, you know, it's died a slow death and we don't use it. So there's an example where I was the client, the developer, and the team leader and still didn't know what I was producing. Wasn't that helpful? So, you know, you can be tough in the tech space to turn out something that solves a real problem. Another thing is that when you mentioned to me that when people ask you for advice on which piece of product to buy, you quite often don't have an answer for them. Yeah, no, that's true. So, you know, people often say, oh, which auto drafter should I get, Mark? And I say, I've never used any of them. I've built my own. But obviously, I do talk to a lot of people about auto drafters and things like that. And the one things I do notice is quite often people talk to me once they've had a problem. So my advice is, which company's got the best backup service in your area? That's the company to buy your auto drafter from. Because it's a completely new technology for your farm, unless you've had a series of them. So typically, if you buy a new ute or a tractor on your farm, you don't need to read the manual on how to turn a key to make that noise that you know it needs to make in order to move. You can transfer all your existing knowledge from your old tractor over, get in it and start using it. Whereas if you go, say, electronic tags on an auto drafter, you have no existing knowledge. So you'll get it out of the box and you don't know what to do and you'll make really, really basic mistakes. And it's that backup service that it becomes critical while you build that knowledge base in order to use the product and also troubleshoot problems. I dobbed my brother in, so he sent me some body weights and I was analysing them. And I sent back, I said, oh, you've body weighed the same sheep 25 times throughout the whole mob. What's going on? How did that happen? Did it keep jumping fences or something? But eventually tracked it down that he put his test tag in his pocket. And every time he walked up near the body weighing crate to give a sheep a nudge for it to go out, every second time he did that, it'd pick up the tag in his pocket and not the tag on the sheep. So he's weighing the same tag number, but 25 different sheep throughout the mob. So technically that's get your mob back in and start again. And so it's those kind of errors when you start, you've got to learn the hard way. Or if you've got really good backup service, that's critical in getting in brand new tech. Depending on how many sheep he had in the yard, it's either a really good thing that he's only had to go up 25 times to pull them up, or if he only had 50 sheep in, it could have been a real mongrel of a day. It could have been, but you know, 50 sheep's pretty easy to body weigh again. 900 with 25 wrong, you've got to make a call, have I lost that data? Or am I doing another whole day's work? Time pressures, I know your typical farmer's going to say those 25, they're gone. I've lost that data. I'll sell those sheep to somebody else and they're no longer part of what I'm doing. But if you're gathering data, you need lots of different data points before you can make a decision. So typically on a merino game, we don't just want the body weight, we want a micron and a fleece weight and some visual records. And we need to combine all those bits to make a decision. 25 errors in the body weighing is not a big percent, but if we've got the same percent errors in each data gathering opportunity it's very easy to get to 30 percent of your flock has got some data that's not relevant and all of a sudden the advantage from using the data is completely gone you'd have been better off not having it having 
accuracy of data becomes critical if you're going to use it. And that's that knowledge base you've got to build up over time of using a new technology. You mentioned like data collection and is that the most important part of ag tech, do you think, or for sheep producers? Or is it going to be more that sort of robotics line of and handling way of ag tech? So actual capturing of the data, that's what everyone's goal was, was capturing data because we had none. But the longer I've been doing it, the more I realised the actual capture of data is the least important part of what you're doing. We can capture data on all kinds of things, but if it's not our target data, it has no value. If we don't use it effectively, it has no value. Every time you do it, it's a cost. So you have to recoup that cost somehow. For me, the most important thing is the whole on-farm system that you develop around your tech. And you want each element of that system needs to interact with another element of the system. You don't want them completely isolated. So you don't just take a body weight and make decisions on that body weight purely alone. You do if you're in a feedlot or fattening lambs. But how does that body weight play into the rest of your system? Are you growing young ewes and is that body weight then become important about which sheep might get joined at a certain time versus others? So how do you flow each one of those data points into the next part of your system? So then it becomes about how your data is connected to other data. And then that becomes about the tools that you can use to make decisions on your data. Those tools are what enables you to recoup the cost of collecting the individual data points. So if you don't recoup that cost don't collect the individual data point. That individual data point about collecting it can become a liability if you're not using it. So if you don't use it, you're certainly better off not spending the money on the tech to gather it. And I guess when you mention the word robotics, to me that triggers the word for me is automation. And that can be any kind of automation. So it doesn't have to be the traditional self-autonomous mechanical vehicle. I consider an auto drafter to be a robot because it's an automated type system. I spent a long time thinking about why do sheep farmers, or in particular, not adopt technology? You know, we're seen as being a bit backwards and certainly well behind the crop and dudes. Why are we behind them? And I've tried to distill it down and I reckon so. In order for a farmer to adopt tech, agriculture is an old business. We've been doing it for 10,000 years or more. So the problems aren't new. The pain points aren't new. We know what they are. We know how to do agriculture reasonably well. So new tech has to enable me to do what I already do, but make it easier. I want the data that comes with that new tech to be a byproduct of management. So at the moment, if I've got electronic tags in and I'm getting fleece weight, body weights and microns, they're not byproducts of a job. The data capture is the actual job. So it's all on top of my normal agricultural management. So really good tech would make that a byproduct. So for example, Yield monitors in headers is an example of that. So you just harvest your paddock, which is what we've always done for thousands of years, but at the end of that, you have these really cool yield maps that you can make decisions on. And that data just came around as a byproduct of management. So we don't have that in sheep, as ubiquitous as it is in, say, cropping and other industries. So we want the tech to make it easier for us to do what we already do. We want our data to be a byproduct of management. And I'd like that data to tell me something about my sheep. For example, I've got trough monitors on the farm as part of a pilot project with a DPI. And I can pull out my phone and I can tell you how many centimetres of water is in every trough on my farm. But that tells me information about my trough. It doesn't tell me anything about my sheep. Now, if I had flow meters on each one of those troughs, I would also be alerted to the fact that 
there's a problem at the trough, but I would also know how much water my sheep are drinking every day. And all of a sudden, that's tech that's telling me about my sheep. And then I could link that to my weather station and it could say, hey, Mark, it's 38 degrees and 42% humidity and your sheep only drank 5.2 litres today. We know they should be drinking 6.8. Now, that's alerting me to a potential problem, but visibly when I drive past the paddock, I can't see that. So that's the kind of improvement that I'm looking for from tech as opposed to the trough sensor, which is really cool, but it's like the engine light in your car. It comes on after there's a problem, not before. That's how I want that tech to transition forward more into automated type systems. And, you know, there's some really cool things on the horizon. You want it to be more real-time stuff to be able to allow you to make decisions now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of that. It's like having a moisture probe in your cropping paddock. You're getting real-time moisture data that enables you to make decisions as you're going, whereas it's much harder to get that real-time data on a living organism that's not in the one spot all the time. But for us to get the same kind of productivity gains in livestock that we see in other parts of agriculture, those are the kind of tech that we need. I try and put my new tech through those three-point filter. Will it make what I already do easier? I don't want to do a new job. I'm already too busy. Can I get data out of that tech while it's happening? And will that data tell me something about the sheep as opposed to something about the environment the sheep are living in? Because it's the sheep I'm interested in. You know, it's their welfare, not the welfare of my trough. You mentioned that something to keep an eye on for the future. Well, you know, it's all like we can look at the smart tags and the virtual fencing and that kind of stuff. So I know it's, you know, they've got the virtual fencing with the cattle. Obviously, I've seen the work where they're doing virtual fencing in sheep, but obviously sheep grow this thing called wool, which makes the technology that they use to give feedback to the animal that it's approaching its boundaries not work so well. But to me, they're issues that they will solve in time. So all of a sudden you could have your grazing paddocks linked to satellite data about pasture growth. And you could even have an automated system that's controlling your flock movements to absolutely maximise grass usage. Sheep farmers are turning grass into money. We're not turning sheep into money, it's grass. So there's a technology that could be semi-automated based on parameters that we put in that's controlling a mob purely to grass growth around your farm. So that's the kind of system. And from that, it would make it much easier for you to do what you already do, which is utilising grass to turn sheep into a product that can enable you to make money out of grass. Your data would become a byproduct of that system, so you'd have grazing data and all kinds of information that just came about from using it. You'd learn stuff about your sheep. That's the kind of technology, and I think if that was robust and worked well, farmers would fall over themselves to use it because it ticked those three components. But the moment you go, here's some really cool tech, and it can make you more money, you've just got to do all this extra work to make it pay off. And all of a sudden, your busy farmer goes, I can see that there's a value proposition in that, but you want me to do more work? I'm going to go to rugby with my kids on the weekend. Sorry, mate. See you later. We're all time poor, and that time component will override a financial advantage if you're not saving them time. A lot of tech in the sheep game falls into that category of you actually need more work to utilise it, depending on where you sit. So I use all this cool tech, and people like to come here and use me as an example to other farmers why they should use it. But my starting point was a stud breeder with full pedigree taking lots and lots of measurements on my sheep the hard way so when they turn up with tech that says mark you can get body weights really easy now it ticked those boxes for me it made it easy to do what i was already doing the data just came as a byproduct of pushing sheep through an auto drafter and i got told something about my sheep but if you take a commercial farmer that's not involved in genetics and he's not already doing those things 
convincing him to take on electronic tags is a much harder gig because all he sees is extra work. It's really got to suit your system. If we rotate back to earlier when you asked about data gathering, then that's why I go back to mentioning it's the actual system and how those components fit together. What does your whole farm tech for your livestock look like on your farm, not just one piece? And we probably should have a conversation about how do you go from no tech on your farm to using tech? I have seen examples where people go, I think this is really cool, and they go out and buy the flash tech, and all I have to do is wait a year and a half, and then I can go and buy that tech off them really cheap because it's still in the shed. And they just couldn't get it to go. They didn't have the knowledge or the support or the background with it. What problem do you want to solve on your sheep first? So you need to set yourself a goal. Let's say your goal is more live lambs. So you, you've been away and you've done a lifetime ewe management course, which I strongly recommend to anyone. They're cracking courses. So you've got some knowledge about what could get you more live lambs. And, you know, obviously their condition scores and maybe some body weights and tracking that kind of information. So there's your end goal. What tech do I need to get some information about that? Obviously, you can just take condition scores, make a decision right there and then. Or you can say, let's record those condition scores. Is it the same sheep each year? Have I got the right sheep doing the right job? Could I add some body weights to that? But then all of a sudden, I'm back at individual data points. But you need to answer the question before you buy any of that tech, how are you going to handle that data? We've got a body weight and we've got a condition score. Are you going to write it down? Are you going to put in an Excel sheet? Can you use Excel? Can you combine the data and make some cool graphs? You need to answer all of those questions before you go and buy any tech. And the answer might be, you know, my son's coming home from school next year. He's a whiz with computers. I would strongly suggest you ask him if he's going to stay on the farm and whether he's keen to do that. You need to actually get that sorted before you buy any tech. Look for a service provider if you don't have those skills. So have all the parts of your system and your chain worked out and the last thing you do is gather data. Whereas quite often I see people going the other way around. So the first thing they do is buy some tech, two different kinds of tech because they were the cheapest of each kind. And they get home and they don't talk to each other. And then they get it working and they get some data. Then they're trying to solve the problem. How do I get my data together? How do I make decisions on it? How do I change which sheep I keep and don't keep based on that data? Because if you don't change which sheep you're culling, you haven't got any use from it. So you want the whole system planned out before you buy any tech. And that's, what's the problem? How is this data going to feed into solving that problem? How am I going to manipulate the data to do that? What tech do I need to buy to get that data? You need to work backwards down that chain. An easy way would be to work out your problem and then go and chat to a service provider. You don't have to follow through, but find out what they can offer. Start with them and use them as a learning tool. And, you know, after two years of a service provider, you might be fine to go on your own. But it takes the pain out of it. I am really happy that Mark's going to be a speaker at our upcoming Big Tech Big Ideas conference in February. If people want to learn more and hear more from Mark, that's my spruik for the day, is to come to Big Tech next year in Feb. It will be good to get out in person. Mate, it's probably pretty incongruous or it doesn't really mesh in a lot of people's ideas that you're this switched on in the ag tech space, you're also growing wool. Why are you still in the wool game? Part of it's going to be tradition, you know, that family thing. But yeah, wool adds a layer of complexity to breeding that I find really exciting. You know, it's a very strong antagonistic relationship to most of the carcass and health attributes of your sheep. It's that challenge. But also I've become to like everything about the wool, the feel of it, the handle of it, the end products. It's got some great environmental credentials, a great way 
of turning the grass on my paddock into food and fibre. So without that wool component, I'm only half of what we need agriculture for. Us people, we need food and fibre. They're part of our really base core needs is food and clothing. And agriculture is a way of supplying that in a renewable or as close as we can get to a renewable fashion. So I like the wool and the meat attributes of the sheep and you know, I find it really exciting. It'd be nice if they were complementary traits, but they're not, but that's the challenge, that's the exciting bit. To be able to use technologies to pull them together in a combination that people haven't seen before. So that's the challenge, to make something new and exciting and obviously, you know, taking other people along on that journey. It's a group of us, a group of farmers, so you can build on each other's excitement about the product that you're developing. There's economic elements of spreading your risk. So, you know, we have our sheep have a fibre and a meat component, so you're spreading your income between the two. And if we look back over history, there are times when wool's cracking and there's time when the meat's cracking and when they're both cracking, it's a really great place to be. 2021, eat your heart out, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Hopefully it continues. Do you keep an eye on those sort of external factors, like the international markets? You know, it's not a massive part of my business, but I can't be in this business and not be exposed to it. So, you know, obviously chat to people that more closely follow that as part of their business. So, you know, my downstream networks in the wool game, you know, the wool brokers and buyers and those kind of things are very, very focused on those kind of global trends and so you follow along and that information feeds back the trends of changing the end consumer wants to know so much more about their product now so we've got to be looking more closely at extending the welfare components of our enterprises so you know most sheep farms obviously very well focused on welfare of their animals because if their animals aren't looked after well the business doesn't work self-evident but where we're really poor is actually telling anyone about these benefits so I think that's got to become more to the front of where people are ending up but nobody likes having somebody look over their shoulder when they're working too so you know about being able to balance these needs between what the consumers want and operating in secret which is not ideal either and obviously there's a space for technology to play into that so we're looking for solutions that are win-wins one that builds relationships and trusts and takes each side of the party along as opposed to having too much one way or the other. Yeah, that welfare of the animal, I guess the old saying is that Merino spends the first 12 months of its life trying to die. So the welfare of the animal is paramount, isn't it, to be making money? Yeah, absolutely. So can't make any money out of dead sheep. The end point for sheep quite often is foods, but premature death of your animals is suboptimal. But, you know, a lot of our welfare standards are set up around the pain and suffering. A sheep that's under stress performs really, really badly. It's not ultimately a dead sheep, but it's sheep that are stressed. And whether that's stressed from a worm burden or not enough food or the wrong kind of food or too hot or too cold, those are the things that we as farmers need to manage on a daily basis. Getting that in the tech space, that sort of feedback would be a real game changer, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. I mean, you know, even a little sneak peek at the work at that AWI are doing with their smart tags. That's so many data points a minute being sent back through a network, being able to work out if your sheep's sitting down, ruminating or walking, who it's socialising with. You know, it's remarkable insights would be able to come back from that data. I guess, for an example, we've been using a pedigree matchmaker system since 2005. So we just put up a panel reader at a water point and we track ewes and lambs into water and from that we can work out which ewe is rearing which lamb. And that was the end goal. But then after 
seven or eight years worth of records, a geneticist said, oh, there's a lot of data there. Can we have a look at what else we can find? So we did up the raw data for him. He turned that raw data into lots of different traits. So how often a sheep came into water each day, how often a lamb followed the ewe and different components like that, and then ran a big correlation. And, you know, he found out things that there was a correlation between how close a ewe and a lamb were to each other all the time and that lamb's weaning weight. Sheep that came into water more often had a genetic correlation to worm burden. So he found out all these other correlations in the data that were completely, well, they're all byproducts of what our end goal was. So that's sort of feeding into that idea that I was saying before about automated data. Now, are sheep that come to water more often always grazing secondhand grass because they don't go far out in the paddock, therefore they've got more worms? Or sheep that have got worms are scouring and are dehydrated and drink more often? You know, I, I don't know those answers, but we found those links just in a series of timestamp tag reads. To me, that's quite exciting. And any technology that enables us to capture large quantities of data will hold secrets in there that can help us do what we already do, which is your base-level agriculture. We've been working with sheep for 10,000 years. It's an old problem to solve, but we've got some pretty cool data points that we might be able to take forward and maybe give us some new answers to old problems. That's really exciting, isn't it? Like The fact that you can be collecting data and, and doing one job, but all the while there's this hidden gem of information that, yeah, a different set of eyes could see something exciting with it. Absolutely. So with new tech, humans at the start overestimate how quickly that tech will get here. So we've been talking about this kind of tech in sheep for a decade and a half now. But then what we do after not succeeding in that is we underestimate how quickly that tech will get here. Now, unfortunately, I can't predict where we are in that cycle. We certainly overestimated how quickly this tech would get here because we've predicted that it would be here well before now. So we got too excited and we overestimated. Now, every time somebody talks about this new tech, we're all a bit jaded and think, oh, that won't happen. But at some point, it will just snowball and away it'll go. And then we'll get competitors into the market and you know the price will come down. And I'm hoping we're much closer. The size of electronics and tech and battery life now is just amazing, even compared to five years ago. The younger members listening to this probably think that iPhones have been around forever. But that's, I think it was 2007, the iPhone came out. I mean, that's not that long ago. Yet we can't imagine life without them. So at some point, tech and sheep, or we've been alluding to, that will happen. It'll be an exciting time. It'll be a tough time because it'll be change and transition too. So success will be dictated by how you manage change. And that's always been the case. What do you think the future has in store for wool and the humble merino? It's a really good future, but obviously it'll involve more tech. We're seeing a big change in the dynamics of our workforce. So once upon a time when I sold rams, it would be a guy that was much older than me that turned up and asked all the questions. Now when a young couple turn up to buy rams, you just immediately go and talk to the wife because she will be the one that's interested in the animals and their outcomes and hubby's just there to make sure that I don't ignore his wife most of the time. You know, I'm seeing quite an exciting shift in animal agriculture that we're not seeing in, say, the cropping side. You know, it's a really diverse workforce we're getting now. I'm hoping we're on the cusp of a reasonably big tech change in our sheep, but it won't be as fast as what we think. That's my take. But there's certainly lots of opportunities.
Mate, that's awesome. Thanks for your time today, and I hope you've enjoyed your time on Seeds for Success. Thanks for turning up, and it was a pleasure to have a chat. Cheers. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders, and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Nerily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.